Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether we like it or not, money matters. And one of the most important money matters is tax, especially when you work for yourself or you have a side hustle that earns you some extra cash. And let me tell you, navigating the tax maze when you don't just have an ILP5 from an employer, it is really, really challenging. So I've invited a tax expert, Andre Botler, onto this week's podcast to chat about how to optimize your tax deductions as a freelancer or how to manage the books when you are earning an extra income from a side hustle. So thank you, um, Andre. Uh, welcome to the podcast, My Money, My Lifestyle podcast. You Work for yourself. Uh, well, you don't work for yourself. You've got a side hustle. So maybe just tell the, the listeners a little bit about, about what you do. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, no, my name is Andre Potma. I run a YouTube channel called Andre Potma Tax. Uh, I also work full-time in the tax industry as a tax consultant. And then on the side, I also do some consultations from time to time and write tax articles for bank X. So that's, yeah. So you, you, you and I are, are, are similar but different. So I, I work completely for myself. My whole business is myself. Um, but you are the other person who has, a, has an employer but then has developed um, a side business using your skills. So I think between the two of us, we've probably got quite a good um, understanding of what it is like to live in this world of, of self-employment. And, you know, I find that so many of my listeners um, and readers are self-employed. I think it's becoming more and more um, common. And, you know, whether it's a freelancer that's permanently working for themselves or like you um, have a side gig, and they all struggle with navigating the tax rules, you know, especially around tax deductions. What, what is a tax deduction? What is it? When do I need to pay tax? How does provisional tax work? So maybe just give us a little bit of kind of the top tips that you feel that people earning their own income, mm. that, that income that isn't on that IRP5, what are the top tips that they need to have? Yeah, I, I, think, the, I think the best way to, to start, I think what, what happens often in the industry is people will go from full-time employment and then go um, and go and then go completely self-employed. So you are used to um, the employer deducting the pay as you earn from your salary. Everything is done for you. Now, as soon as you start either earning a commission or you're an independent contractor, a sole proprietor, now it changes because now you have to do your own, uh, not only your bookkeeping or you need to have at least a bookkeeper so that now your your um, your your bank statements are organised, your income and expenses are summarised for you on a monthly basis, so that you've got a good idea of how much profit are you making on a monthly basis and also on an annual basis, because that's going to determine how much provisional tax and essentially how much annual tax you have to pay. A good bookkeeper will also, if you have a good relationship with them. They'll be, able, they'll be able to tell you um, what can and can't be deducted for income tax purposes. So then you've got a so then you've got a good idea. Um, at, at least that's a good start. The other thing that I strongly suggest uh, commission earners uh, or independent contractors what they must do, sole proprietors, is to set aside automatically set aside ten to twenty percent of your income aside for tax purposes. What often happens 
And I say 10 to 20% because you can take advantage of all those deductions and that's average what people pay for tax. Um, the reason I say that is that type of income is often a tax trap. And what, what I mean by that is uh, you, are used to, you are used to your pay earn being deducted automatically, but now you have to fork out that money when you pay provisional tax twice a year and then on your annual tax return. If you do save that money on the side, it is there um, and you don't have to worry about forking out 20, 30, 50 grand to SARS. Mm. I, you know, so, I so hear you, you know, Andre, I remember the first time I had to pay provisional tax. I'd done exactly that. I'd been working for an employer. Then I went freelance. And this shock of this bill that came, and I remember thinking I could buy a couch with this. I so I remember clearly thinking, and I had to go make this massive withdrawal from my account. And I think if you haven't put that money away, I come across mm. a lot of people who have to actually dip into credit um, to settle it. Correct, 100%. And... SARS is, um, I don't know whether this is legislated, but SARS considers themselves a preferential creditor. That, that means that so you pay SARS first. SARS want your money first before uh, you can go ahead and pay your other loans and things like that. So, yeah, SARS is definitely, uh, I understand when people would take out a loan in order to pay SARS because they can literally tell the bank, um, you know, if you don't act on their final demand, they can take the money. So it's important to do that. And, you know, I, that has actually, actually happened to us before was my husband had a, a dispute with SARS and SARS had forgotten that they had a dispute, lodged a dispute or something had happened and they actually went and took the money out of his bank account. I mean, some people yes. can do it. Um, and the power of SARS is so huge that I think to sit there and just hope that it's going to work out somewhere along the way is very, very, very dangerous. Um, and I, it was interesting to me that you spoke about the 10 to 20% as well. So, uh, you know, I suppose in your first year, it is difficult. I mean, obviously now what I do is I look at what my tax was last year and I've got some idea and I allocate mm. uh, to, to, I put that away immediately. So I have a bank account and on my bank account, I have little um, savings pockets and one of them is provisional mm. tax. The other is VAT because I started my business so many years ago. It was VAT registered in those days. Right. Uh, I think it was 30,000 okay. 30, 30, a year you had to earn to be VAT registered. Um, and I put all of those, <laughs> those away to make sure that I, that I have it. But I suppose, yes, in your first year, it's difficult to know. So you reckon maybe 10 to 20%. And if, and if you don't get such a big tax bill, wow, you've got a little bit of savings. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so that's one of the first. Uh, definitely get a good bookkeeper on your side. Get a, um, if you're small, I suppose you can still manage it by downloading your bank statements yourself and circling what is my business expenses. But one other recommendation I have is to get a second bank account so that you separate your personal uh your personal finances from your business finances, because obviously for your side, for your side business or your, your commission earnings, and then take, um, take what you take the net of it and take that as a salary that you put into your, because you don't want to mix your personal transactions with your business transactions. Because then you simplify the accounting, not just for yourself, but also for whoever does your tax, if you don't do the tax yourself. Um, yeah. So, that is, and, and of course, if you if you're not if you haven't incorporated your business, you're just a sole proprietor. You can open mm. up as an individual's bank account. And I think, you know, I've got quite a few. I mean, obviously, you get really low 
bank accounts like Capitech, they're really low cost. But um, FMB has also brought out that business banking. I think they call it a zero bank or zero business. Yes. Zero. Yeah, I think it's called zero business. Yeah, and, and it's specifically for sole proprietors. So, and it's got no monthly banking fee. So those are some really nice, you don't have to, I think what's important to realize, you don't have to open a business bank account and spend all this money because I can tell you that's quite a shock. I have a business bank account because I have incorporated and maybe we can talk a little bit later about when you make that decision. And boy, I promise you, it's a big jump between paying for your personal bank account versus versus business. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely separating those two is like, to me, it's like 101. You don't, don't even start with, uh, trying to put them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a lot, a lot of people start off like that and only later on learn, oh, I'm going to separate them. Um, especially when, when you don't start a company, uh, register a CRPC company. Mm. So, um, yeah, definitely that's one of the things to do. Yeah. And um, I wanted to, to, to also just ask you specifically around, I mean, one of the reasons we're having this podcast is this, is the interest in, in the home office. Um, and mm. we're having a discussion on Twitter, like when, when is a home office deductible and when is it not, especially for an employee. Um, so maybe that's an interesting one. Let's use you as an example. Yeah. <laughs> myself. So, so my entire office, um, you know, I've got all the, I do all the deductions. Uh, I can deduct, I think I come in my office space, but I think I get up to 15% of the running costs of my home are, are deducted. Um, but it, it's different if you're, if you're an employee, if you've got a side income. So maybe let's talk about how you do it. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a standard, if you're a standard employee, you obviously, um, Get the get the letter from your employer to say that you know um, you work mainly at uh, at home, and the word mainly technically means that you work fifty percent or more time at uh, from home. So that's important. Uh, then, in terms of the deductions, what I can claim is specifically either a portion of my rent or a portion of my bond interest, and that is determined by taking the size of your home office and divide that by the size of your home. So that might be 10 over 100, so that's 10% of the rent or 10% of the interest. You can also claim repairs and maintenance. Um, and as far as I understand, you can claim uh, electricity and rates because that's part of the property costs. What you can't claim as a standard employee is what you would... Um, and the argument that I think the reason why it's there why you can't claim telephone and internet and stationery is because a normal business would provide those things for the employee. And so that's why the commission earner slash independent contractor can deduct those additional Section 11A expenses um, because they fork out those expenses themselves. Now, I'm... As far as, uh, yes, the, the budget speech in 2020, uh, basically they, they said that they are looking at changing regulation to, to allow for home office, expense, home office expenses to be expanded a bit because now people are paying uh, for telephone out of their own pocket. They are paying for stationery out of, out of their own pocket and, um, and for internet and they might not get reimbursed by the company. And traditionally, you can't claim those expenses if you're a normal employee, but that's definitely a change that I hope um, SARS is considering for the future. 
Yeah, and, and of course, it always gets tricky if your employer does give you money to cover that, whether it's a fringe benefit or not. So it, it can get mm. quite into a difficult space. But, I mean, how does one, um, you know, for example, you, when you have a, a, a full-time job, but then you've got a, a side gig, uh, or side hustle mm. that actually earns you an income. And obviously, you are mm. having you have expenses in in earning that income. So how do you then yeah. allocate that against, and, and do you, you know, how do you put it in your tax return? I think that to me gets quite messy. So, you know, when when you are, you know, an employee, but you also have a, an extra income, how, how do you allocate those expenses? Yeah, I think on the tax return itself, practically your RP5 is is automatically separate from your um, from your side business. What you need to what you do, you need to make sure of is um, obviously rent can get a bit muddled if you uh, so. I think the the general practice prevailing is you deduct the expenses that um, that is directly linked to your to your trading to your, to your trade income. So, but for example, if I'm just making my YouTube income, for example, might be like maybe it's a thousand rand a month. Um, my YouTube expenses just may um, maybe the internet cost and the and the rent. Then I'm only going to deduct those expenses against the YouTube income and the tax consulting income and not have and not bother at all with claiming normal home office expenses later um, further down in my tax return. Um, it simplifies things a bit to claim the expenses directly to the income. I would not personally claim losses unless I'm uh, unless I have a lot of expenses and not much income. Then you then then it's legitimate to claim the loss for the year. And then uh, see if you can carry forward the loss. But if you're just making, if you're not really making a profit, um, just directing the expenses that you have to that income, uh, that would be the simplest way to do it, and not muddle it uh, further down and trying to split, because otherwise you're complicating it for yourself. Mm. Yeah, I think, and this is why, of course, it gets it gets challenging because it does get a bit, it can get, especially in your scenario where you, you know you're an employee and. And employed and, and self-employed, you know, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, one of the other ones that I also get asked quite a lot is, is kind of what are I mean, obviously, so say now we're talking the freelance world, we're talking about people who work full-time for themselves. Um, mm -hmm. they are um they often will have meetings because they work from home. This is by the way, pre-COVID, maybe, but they would have meetings at coffee shops, at whatever, they would actually go. Yeah. How does do those tax deductions work? You know, what can you deduct for travel expenses yeah. um, and all of that? So travel is travel is quite simple. Uh, if you you must differentiate between what what was actual business travel and what was and what was private kilometer travel um, holidays and things like that. And you need to keep a logbook if you are doing business business related travel. Um, and normally, you, normally your your split might be forty percent business, sixty percent uh, private. So that means forty percent of your uh, car related costs can be deducted against your commission or your freelance. Uh, let's just refer to freelancing to your freelancing income. For um, for specifically entertaining clients and gifting clients, you know, sometimes you do a transaction and you want to gift them something, you can deduct them, but over the last few years, SARS have become really difficult with allowing those expenses because they ask for a specific, you must keep a schedule. 
And this schedule is like you keep the date, who and what client you saw on the date, the place that you went to, and the amount. If you don't keep such a schedule, SARS can go back and say, you know that 30,000 rand in entertainment and gifting that you claimed? We're going to disallow that because you couldn't provide a schedule for that. So, um, and most people, when they, when they get that, that thing we have, to, we have to put together a schedule, they don't even bother with them claiming for that because it's just so much hassle. But if you are in the habit of keeping a diary um, and then you write down, you, okay, this is where I went and this is a client that I, that I had a coffee with, you can let, yeah, that would be the easiest way uh, to go about claiming uh, entertainment and gifts. And both of, both of those specific expenses, uh, SARS can ask for such a schedule. I mean, I find whenever, when it comes down to tax, actually the bottom line is record keeping. Everything's about record keeping. Um, so yeah. I, I have a, I use my phone. I've got, I've got one drive on my phone. I take a picture of the invoice. Mm-hmm. I immediately, you know, save the image, um, note where it was, date, time, whatever. And, and that's a way of, of trying to keep track because it is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep track of all of these expenses and things. So trying to find a system, I think. Um, and and mm. on that, you know, what accounting packages? So, I, I mean, I happen to, to bank with, with FNB and I use their uh, small banking uh, package, which is a little cumbersome, to be honest, but it, it is brilliant because it, it just generates, because it's a business account, it just generates my books for me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a lot of them. I know there was um, WAVE, but WAVE is no longer available in South Africa for some reason. Uh, but are they just yeah. like good low-cost or no-cost uh, um, invoicing and, and, and expense um, packages? Well, no. I jumped onto WAVE last year, and if you if you were on WAVE before they made the change that South Africans can't use it anymore, you can still use it if you jumped on WAVE ahead of time, and that's what I still use. Um, I think Sage, uh, Sage Accounting, uh, people can definitely use, um, and Zero is the other one that I know is quite uh, quite often used. Um, there is a tax solution that if you fall if if you have if you fall into that category, your turnover is below a million, meaning your sales or your invoicing is below a million, and you are not in the professional space, meaning you are not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not an accountant, you're not, a, um, you're not an educator. Uh, but uh, So you're not a professional in that sense. You can register for turnover tax. And turnover tax is an amazing tax system where you don't even have to do bookkeeping. You just need to keep track of the uh, income that you've been earning from that, from that venture. And you don't have to keep track of expenses, and the taxes are really, really low. So that's another recommendation I would, I would make to people. The only downside of it is um, you can't claim losses. So if you have an incorporated company, uh, if you have a sole proprietor and you are making losses, it's perhaps not the best solution. But you, if, if you are making profits and you can le- legitimately register for turnover tax, um, I mean, if you're making a turnover of a million, this is just an example, you're, the maximum amount of tax you would ever pay is about 16,000 rand mm. on, a, on a turnover of a million. Yeah, which is very low. But so, I remember when I looked at it, um, it was quite specific and it tended to be around industries that had quite high inputs. It would be like you have a plumbing business or a, 
Yes, yeah. it, wasn't, it was definitely didn't cover personal services at all. So because it'd be very nice if you really yeah. just use turnover tax. But yes, it's a, no, it, it'd be great because then I could register for turnover yeah. tax, for example. Cars would, um, would use a lot of but, money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think within the current, um, I think it's just sad that they implemented this law in 2012 and have not touched it since. They have not improved it. They have not widened it. They have not allowed more types of businesses to register for it. Even if you're a personal services provider and perhaps you already have three or more employees, you still can't register because it's about the service that you're providing. So for me, SARS have been really bad at uh, at widening the, um, the types of businesses that can. I think small business corporation still has a, um, that's a good, uh, that's a good, um, piece of legislation, but turnover tax, um, they've been really lax on that. And that's one area that that could save people plenty of tax. But now because of that limitation, a lot of industries can't register for it. I just feel, Andre, that they're not really that interested in giving more tax breaks. <laughs> that's kind of weird. They're looking more to collect, well, so we're not going to problem. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on a slight tangent here that that is that is a that is a a national tax problem. If uh, in 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 economics, there's what we call the Laffer curve, and in the Laffer curve, it shows you that after a certain point, um, if you are taxed too much, it it actually reduces the tax income that a country can generate. Now, uh, I think Titio Mweni realized this last year and actually said. Um, company tax is going to drop to twenty to twenty seven percent. Income tax for individuals are also going to get a a tax saving. So they're realizing that they are teeter tottering on that on that tipping point of a Laffer curve. Um, and, and so you have to. So in order to still generate more tax revenue, they actually have to do the inverse and give more tax breaks, which is. Um, which is a, a funny thing to say, but it's accurate. Well, what it does is it brings more people into the tax net. Exactly. Why does the tax exactly. net? Because at the moment, people are, and, and and maybe that's actually maybe the next point I want to make is that I know a lot of people who have a side business, uh, whatever it is, they may be Airbnb or they're moonlighting their skills, who do not declare that income to SARS. Um, mm. So I suppose that is a money that SARS is not getting in um, and maybe mm-hmm. taxes were more friendly, they wouldn't mind paying a little bit of tax on it. They just want to pay so much because when they add it to their other salary, their full-time salary. So maybe explain yeah. that well, that if you, you know, if, if you are moonlighting or you're getting a bit of extra income, it gets added to your, your normal salary and just pushes you into another, another tax bracket. Yeah. It, it could put, it could push you into another tax bracket. Um, and that's why I say rental income is often a tax trap because people don't make uh, provision for the fact that they are going to need to pay tax on that extra income. Um, that is why I also advise many people when they run a side business, a rental income enterprise, you don't have to make profit uh, unless you absolutely have to because if you're making profit, you're going to obviously pay the tax. So um, I'm going to, so as long as my YouTube thing at home is creating an income, I'm going to generate certain expenses that will build, that will make my YouTube videos better, but that I can claim from SARS and not have to pay. The, the, issue, the issue that SARS have with the additional income people are earning is it's, 
is the tax system is currently on that type of income is completely on a trust basis. So SARS is trusting the average taxpayer to declare the, the income and the expenses. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately so, I mean, SARS do not have, uh, contrary to popular belief, SARS do not have act, direct access to your bank account. They can, they can only request from the bank with certain uh, legal parameters to, to take money if, the, if, if you have not answered a final demand, but they don't have access to your bank accounts. And that is one thing that if, if SARS were to have access to your bank accounts to see are you declaring what you're supposed to be declaring, a lot, of, a lot more people will be found out. They simply don't. So it's up to the taxpayer and the tax practitioners of the taxpayers. Um, it's in fact, yeah, it's up to the taxpayer to be honest and open with SARS and say, listen, I did make a, a profit on my Airbnb of uh, 20,000 Rand and the taxes, the extra tax on that is going to be about 2,500 Rand to pay, um, whatever the case may be. So. Yeah. It's an interesting one because I think two things one has to be careful with. First of all, there are always some angry spouses out there who can blow the whistles. <laughs> That's one of the big whistleblowers for uh, for SARS. And the other is I think what they are doing is, they, of course, they're muscling up. They've got another, what, $3 billion were given, I think it was, in, in the budget. I can't remember the exact number to, to beef up. And one of the things they're doing is going on to Airbnb and looking and saying, oh, that's an interesting one. Let me find out about this person. And they do it. They'll even mm. go and they look at luxury cars. They look at property assets. Um, they're looking at insurance mm. as well they, um, and saying, well, why are you insuring for this when you don't have it? So, you know, to me, I, what I would rather see is I'd rather see SARS saying, coming up with a new dispensation for side income and saying, we'll ring fence that. We won't add it and push up your, your average tax rate because, you know, it, it always disincentivizes people to, you know, to come forward. And then at least maybe you're getting SARS knows about it and getting a little bit of it or just at least know about it. And it brings it in somehow into the tax net. So I think those are, are some of the policy challenges ahead of it. Um, but I, you know, I would be, it is, I, I think if you're not declaring it, uh, you're always sitting on the, just on the edge that if they do find out, you're in trouble. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. No, I mean, I've, I've worked for, 11, it's 11 years now in the industry. And one of the things that happens is, um, is you leave the dragon alone, which means you, you, you're working for yourself. You don't file your tax returns. And in a first year, first, first year or two, you are dealing with a small dragon. Sometimes it breathes fire. And you think about this dragon that you have to deal with. I have to file my tax returns. I have to catch up my tax. And then come year five, come year six, you approach a tax, um, a tax practitioner. You have not filed your returns for five years. And now you've got a 100,000, 200,000 big dragon breathing fire in your face because you have not filed those years. And then you've got a problem. And that's a, that's a massive problem some, some self-employed, some freelancers are dealing with. Um, and then I have to file a tax compromise and SARS doesn't want to compromise because then SARS don't get enough money in. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's quite a, quite a bad cycle to be in. If you, um, if you're not dealing with SARS the way that you're supposed to be dealing with them, it can become a dragon that you don't want to face. And of course, you've got to pay the tax practitioner as well to sort out all your mess. So <laughs> it becomes an added expense. 
And I mean, just on the um, on the the rental income, and I mean, I think that's an important point, even with Airbnb or rental income, is that you know you could declare it, but you have so many expenses against it. So you can deduct interest on that property. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can deduct maintenance, yeah. deduct um, any, you know, the electricity, water. There's so many things that you can deduct. And I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense. It's like find expenses to offset it, but don't not declare it. Yeah. The other thing is don't don't also spend more than you should. Um, I mean, some people want to pay no tax, Um but they but they will go out of their way to to fix something that doesn't need to be fixed. You're always spending more than the tax. So what I mean by that is in order to save 10,000 grand in tax, you would need to spend 40 grand. If you don't need to spend 40 grand, if the place is fine, you are um, you are from a cash flow point of view, 40 grand less versus 10 grand less. And this is the argument I, I sometimes have with people who keep bonds on their um, on their rental properties because you are paying a hundred thousand rand in interest to not pay twenty thousand rand to SARS. Mm. Um, and people make the argument that the tenant pays the bond, but on the other hand, if you've got a bad tenant, if the market crashes and you lose, uh, and you know for some reason your that property gets. Uh, um, it's foreclosed on or whatever the case may be, you, you take on additional risk for keeping on a bond. Mm. Um, so that's often, uh, it's not really, an, I mean, it is a good argument to have and there's a lot of different opinions on it. But if you're a conservative person who don't like to deal with uh, debt or, or high risk, things like that, um, it's it's often better to just take the tax knock than trying to, uh, to keep a uh, to keep a bond on a property. I mean, I see the same attitude, Andre. Sometimes with travel allowances as well. You know, people buy the well. I think they use the ta- travel allowance as an excuse to buy the big, bigger car. But it's the same thing. You end up spending a lot more money than you're actually benefiting from the tax break. So it is that mindset. There seems to be something about paying tax that people hate so much that they'd rather go and pay it off to somebody else than the tax. And but that isn't always logical. Yeah, yeah, and it's unfortunately, it's it's a tax climate in South Africa. I mean, if you go to the Nordic countries, the Scandinavian countries, where the tax rates are ten to twenty percent higher than South Africa, the taxes the so twenty. Imagine paying twenty percent more tax in South Africa, maybe five percent more that. That would be absolutely ridiculous. People will leave SA and not come back. But in Nordic countries, because the because the tax morality there is so good on both sides, both from the taxpayer and the government, it just works. Mm. You know, um, people are willing to pay the tax because they get so much so much free things mm. um, from the government that they are incentivized to pay the tax. Unfortunately, the tax climate in South Africa does not allow that. Mm. And that's why people are so, um, that's why people try to, you know, there, there's the joke on Twitter about tax evasion that, because I, <laughs> um, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but uh, yeah, I, I write tax evasion articles, but it's just a joke because that's the climate in SA. People want to pay as little or no tax at all, even yeah. if it's more expensive for their pocket. 
What was interesting, though, is what we saw in this national budget, in, well, the budget in February, was they actually showed South Africa's personal tax rate versus our peers. Now, that's a big difference. We're not an audit country. We're one of the, the BRICs, and we pay substantially more personal income tax in, as a percentage. So our personal income oh, yes. is a very high percentage of tax in South oh. Africa versus other countries of our, at our developmental stage. And I think that's that yes. curve that you're talking about, that we know that, we feel yes. that. Um, and and yeah. that is why we can't go further than this because we actually are at the top end, what quite well within the top end of of countries in our developmental stage, um, and certainly in terms yeah. of get back from from the tax from government in terms of of services. Um, so I wanted to um, end off with just one question, which I also get quite often, and it's something I actually went through two years ago. Um, I've had my business for 14 years as a sole proprietor, and I decided to incorporate. I'm now a PTY Limited, and I did it for various reasons. But at what point does one make that decision, either as a, uh, a full-time self-employed person, you have a full-time business that you're working on, or even as somebody with a side business. And when do you make that decision mm. to move from a sole proprietor to a PTY? I think I think one of the one of the nice benchmarks is do you have any employees? Or do you have any partners that want to partner up with you? Those are two things, those are two questions. And if those two things are not at all in your circle um, and not gonna be there for five years, it's very unnecessary in my opinion to register for a company and let me let, let me tell you why if you if you are a sole director employee which means that you are the sole director of a company but you're also the employer of a company number one you are quote unquote the personal service provider you provide the service for all your clients as the employee and the director um, so automatically SPC is not an option for you you can't register as a small business corporation that means your tax is flat 28%. Now, if you decide to take um, to take a dividend out instead of a salary, so let's say you take a salary, but you also take dividends, dividends tax plus the 28% tax that a company pays averages out to be 42.4% of tax, which is actually what you are paying. And for an, ind for an individual, you might only be at the 35% tax bracket, which means marginally you only pay 25% tax. That is much less than 42,4%. So just from a tax point of view, if you're a one-man show with no employees and no partners who want to partner up and do business with you, um, or you are not doing any business-to-business -business transactions, um, running it as, small, as a sole proprietor will be more tax beneficial than in a, than in a company. The other thing, obviously, one of the other reasons for not starting a company or incorporating a company is admin costs and additional compliance. So once you register for CIPC, all of a sudden you have to comply to the Companies Act. Uh, once you start employing people, now you have to comply to three different labor, uh, labor acts. Okay. Um, so you have to pay CIPC costs. You have you might get a secretarial company that does your uh, your secretary for you. You have to pay that. You have to file annual tax returns. You have to file provisional tax returns. You have to file your own tax returns. You pile that up. That can easily be 10, 10, 10 grand a year that you don't have to fork out if you're a sole proprietor. Now let's look at the benefits of being uh, of registering a company. 
I think once you once you get big enough and it makes sense for you, you might have business to business contracts that uh, there somebody might want to do business with you. The benefit is uh, number one, you can apply for things like business loans. Um, uh, banks are more willing to loan money to a registered company than an individual. Uh, also, the individual is protected from creditors. So, if the company makes a lot of loans for their business. Uh, the individuals often protected from those claims, um, but also the I think the separate legal entity makes sense when you need a legal a separate legal entity. It makes no sense when you don't need it. Mm. Um, so the argument to say, "Oh, I need a company because of a separate legal entity," my question to you is, do you need the separate legal entity? Um, so yeah, so the. So that, those are the questions. Is do you have uh, enough income to warrant all the administrative and additional compliance and costs that goes with them? Um, but if you are partnering up with somebody who wants to do business, you and you, because the thing is, a partnership is uh, is a ship that sinks easily, uh, <laughs> and because it doesn't survive you, it doesn't survive the other partner. Um, you have to form a new partnership when when one partner leaves or dies. And so it's much easier if you start a company um, to survive uh, and, and let. The, and also the other thing is very difficult to sell a sole proprietor. You can't. Mm. So if you have a company that has a name and you're building a brand and that brand is getting big, um, and eventually you want to sell it before you die, uh, having a company uh, would be another reason to start uh, or to get incorporated. So those are the things I would look at. And I see, you know, I see quite often, I said this was a long journey for me. It wasn't something I did lightly at all, but for various reasons. One of mine is a big business to business um, and also withholding tax if you're a freelance. There's a whole lot of reasons. But I see so many people say, I want to start a business and immediately going off because it's so easy now to register a business without understanding all of these consequences. Without And then suddenly they're like, oh, I didn't know I had to do this. I didn't know I had to do that. I didn't know I had to get audited. I mean, you have to get audited financials. All of this stuff. They just didn't know that. So I think it is, there's almost this, it's been it's been tantalizingly made, tantalizingly easy to, 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 mm. to incorporate. Um, and I don't think anyone's telling people the full consequences of it. Um, so I think it is an, an important discussion that people need to have and understand before they, they take that step. Yeah, I, I play, this is a funny analogy, but I play Dungeons and Dragons uh, uh, from, 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 uh, on a weekly basis. And it's like, you as a character, you get you you hear how good plate armor is. Now plate armor is, but you don't realize, hey, it gives you great protection. So the company is a great idea. However, it weighs you down. Mm-hmm. And plate armor, you can't you can't go swimming in plate armor. You're gonna drown. Yeah. And, and so your company, you need to be ready. Your company need to be ready to wear plate armor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and understand the consequences of wearing plate armor. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think it's a fantastic analogy. I like that one. I think that works well. <laughs> are you ready to wear plate armor? And I think people think they are because they they perceive themselves in their business, you know, with the way they'd like it to be, but maybe it's not quite there yet. And and also people feel like because the because it is CIPC registered, it is a real business, and therefore a sole proprietor is not a real business, and that is so far from the truth. Because a lot of plumbers, a lot of electricians, 
a lot of um, a lot of them, even some medical practitioners, run their businesses as a trading as for decades without without even incorporating. Well, I want to say, Andre, you've been it's been fantastic chatting to you. And I think we must definitely maybe touch base again later on in the year um, and uh, and you know just chat a little bit more about, about the tax aspects of, of having your own business um, or any other yeah. quite quickly. We'll figure out a few more topics. But um for the listeners, um, if you want to uh, find out more about Andre, there's on YouTube, he's got his YouTube channel, Andre Botma Tax, which has got a lot of really, really great um content that you can catch up on. And uh, but of course. That doesn't always replace having somebody who knows tax. Just by the way, I think, especially as a, as a small as a small business, um, mm. that I, I think also is is useful to have a tax tax practitioner as well. But at least it gives you some some good information um, as well for your personal taxes. So, Andre, thanks so much for for sharing uh, sharing your time with us today. You've been listening to the My Money My Lifestyle podcast, featuring contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.